Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. This is the time of year when you just might be wandering through your garden and you're drawn to some funny looking aspects of your tomato plants. What is that brown leathery spot on the bottom of that tomato? What are all those cracks along the top of the tomato? By the way, what's that white spot on the side of the tomato? Hey, wait a minute, why are those tomato leaves curling? Well, all of those are abiotic disorders of the plant. You can't attribute the problem to an insect or a disease. It's due to any number of things in the natural world. An imbalance of nutrients in your soil, maybe too much water, too little water, too much sun, too little sun, smog, wildfire, smoke, and plenty more that you can't blame on an insect, a disease, or for that matter, your dog. But you might have to blame yourself. Today, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, delves into the world of abiotic disorders of tomato plants. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's summertime, and you may be having problems in the vegetable garden. Abiotic disorders. What the heck is that? Debbie Flower is here, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. Debbie, what I like to say when it comes to abiotic disorders, and of course it's disorders that aren't caused by a disease or an insect or some other four-legged pest. Mm -hmm. It's I like to say abiotic disorders are usually operator error. <laughs> okay, yeah. Or it could be cultivar susceptibility. That, and then again, that's operator error because you chose the wrong varieties for your okay. area. I was trying to give people an out. All right. Well, no. Darn. I'm, anyway, abiotic disorders of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. There are plenty. There are. And I mean, I can always tell the season when we get these questions. And of course, uh, the questions have already come in about why is the, what's this brown leathery spot on the bottom of my tomato? Mm -hmm. Blossom end rot. Blossom end rot. And the reasons are legion, none of which are what you're going to see in most literature, mm -hmm. because they're going to say it's a calcium deficiency. Well, yes and no. It's not because your soil lacks calcium. It's usually because there's something else keeping that calcium from being absorbed by the plant. Right. Which can be. Uh, irregular watering, mm -hmm. so the roots can't absorb anything, or there's too much water and the roots shut down and aren't absorbing anything, or it, it can be that fertilizers of the wrong types have been uh, applied that have tied up the calcium. Right. And we should define what a blossom end is right. on a tomato. Yes. It's the bottom. It's the bottom. Right. So when the, the flower is, is fertilized, the ovary that swells into the tomato is behind the flower, closer to the stem. And that's what swells up and becomes the tomato. And the petals fall off. 
and where the petals were attached was the blossom end, and that is the bottom. So a lot of these abiotic disorders, a meaning non, biotic mean, meaning biological, the term blossom end and stem end are used to, to talk about where the symptoms are. So blossom end is the bottom, and mm-hmm. stem end is the top where it's attached. Right. And in most cases, it's a watering issue, too much or too little. And you can't water by the calendar. You have to water by the weather and the type of soil you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, yes. you, if you can solve that, you can probably solve most of the blossom end rot problems. Um, you could probably solve 90% of the problems with plants, yes. Right. And uh, with tomatoes, if it's a paste tomato variety, well, chances are you're going to get blossom end rot. Mm-hmm. Yes, different cultivars have different susceptibility. I use the term cultivar to mean cultivated variety because most of these tomatoes uh, have been had a human hand to cultivate the variety, to create that variety. However, uh, heirlooms are just varieties. They've just occurred spontaneously and, and continue to do so. The reason why irregular watering affects uh, calcium uptake, there's this uh, thing called root suberization that goes on when roots of a tomato plant are subject to boom and bust cycles of water and basically the roots get corky and they can't absorb the calcium that's why you want to do regular watering another reason i didn't realize uh, that can cause that lack of calcium uptake into the tomato is if you use too heavy of a nitrogen fertilizer early in the season mm-hmm Mulch is always good to use in the garden because it slows down the heating up of the soil and the cooling down of the soil and the evaporation of water from the soil. So things stay more even in the root zone. Right. And as the University of California points out, since blossom end rot is not caused by a disease, there are no pesticide solutions. Correct. There is nothing you can buy at a nursery to cure blossom end rot. A nursery will try to sell you some form of calcium. Don't buy it won't get into the plant if the problem is water. And this is why we'll never work at a nursery. (laughs) (laughs) Been there, done that. Yeah, well, that and there's a very easy solution to blossom end rot. When you pick the tomato, just cut off the end, throw it away. Your friends won't notice the difference. It's still edible. Yes, Yes. it's still edible. It is just a cosmetic disorder. And it may go, I mean, the the bigger it is, it may go up a little bit further into the plant or into Mm -hmm. the piece of fruit, but still you can just cut it off. Right. Use the rest of the fruit. Haven't you ever heard of a chopped tomato salad? Come on. Mm -hmm. All right. Blossom and rot, an abiotic disorder. Another thing that people may see on their tomatoes, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this just because of the intense sun and heat Mm -hmm. that we are having. It's called cat facing. And uh, yeah, I guess if you look at it, it looks kind of like the face of a cat. It's, <laughs> My uh, cats are insulted. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's a deformity caused during the formation of the flower that results in the fruit not developing normally. And basically, the uh, it's usually on the bottom of Again, the fruit. Again, the blossom yeah, end. The, on the blossom end. And it's... The, there isn't that much known about cat facing, uh, except it's probably more than just one problem here. Sometimes if the temperatures go wacky, if you get cool or cold temperatures that occur about three weeks before bloom, 
that can increase the amount of cat facing. Some heirloom varieties, beefsteak tomatoes, too, are prone to cat facing. And uh, those are the ones that always look like Richard Nixon. Yeah, the, <laughs> the huge ones with the, the protrusion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the beef steaks are not the best for our California very hot, dry climate. They have they don't produce a lot of fruit, and then you, they're more susceptible to this cat facing. But there are when you read a seed catalog, you they may say. Uh, resistant to cat facing. So that's the one you might want to choose. Yeah. If, and another thing, too, and we go back to what I said about operator error, heavy pruning in indeterminate varieties has been shown to increase cat facing. Huh? You define indeterminate. <laughs> there are two basic ways that tomato plants grow. One is called determinate and one is indeterminate. The determinate ones genetically uh, have sort of a predetermined size. The plant will grow up to a certain size, flower pretty much all at once, produce the fruit pretty much all at once. Uh, if you keep the plant in the ground, you will continue to get more f- flowers and fruit. But you, they're good for canning because you get a lot of, or sauce making, you get a lot of fruit all at once. They're used typically in uh, commercial production because they can uh, harvest a field all at once, uh, fix the soil and replant again and get another crop. The indeterminate ones just keep growing. They can get huge. They can get six, eight, ten feet tall. It has nothing to do with the size of the fruit. You can get indeterminate cherry tomatoes that produce very small fruit. You can get indeterminate beefsteaks that produce very big fruit. And they need absolutely need to be caged or staked. And those are the ones that, if pruned severely, can end up with cat-facing. All right, let's turn the tomato over. We've been looking at the bottom of the tomato. There are abiotic disorders that happen to the stem end. The top of the tomato Mm -hmm. is not uncommon, and you usually see this mid to late summer on tomatoes. You'll see cracks or you'll see concentric rings. Right. The cracks will go start at the stem and move down toward the, the blossom end. Right. And those concentric rings will go around that stem. Sounds to me like uh, somebody's been pruning away foliage. Uh huh. Right. Too much sun. It can again be the cultivar mm-hmm. because some there was one cultivar I grew for uh, a school once. It was called Shady Lady, and everybody thought it grew in the shade. No, it doesn't grow in the shade. It produces uh, so many leaves that the fruit are in the shade. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm, it is. And yeah. some are tomatoes. If you read a catalog, they'll talk about potato leaf tomatoes. Those tend to have more shade over the fruit. Right. And when you have shade, you have uh, less uh, sun issues of which cracking and those concentric rings uh, can be uh, susceptible to. Right. And this one is due to the uh, inside expanding faster than the skin. Right. And that brings us right back to watering. Yes. Yes. (laughs) If you have irregular watering and then there are there is more susceptibility to cracking. And as you point out, the the varieties differ greatly. Yes. On their susceptibility to it's like the old Henny Youngman joke. Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, then don't do that. (laughs) If you get a variety that's always cracking on you, don't plant it. Right. There's plenty of other Children that right. need homes. And it may be watering and it may be climate. If you have a, a irregular climate, you have a period where that's not as suitable for tomato growing. Uh, very, very hot temperatures or very, very cold temperatures for, for several days. The message to the plant is you're done making fruit. You better mature this fruit so that you get viable seed because the plant's job in the plants in the plant world is to make more of itself. So to make seed that will grow. So finish maturing that inside of that fruit and and the skin so that the seeds have a way to travel and be done with it. And then all of a sudden the 
the weather gets better and the tomato inside continues to grow. But meanwhile, the skin has gotten so tough that it can't handle that and it has to crack to accommodate the inside growth. If you're going out to the garden to pick tomatoes for your tomato salad dinner and you're going to be chopping up tomatoes, choose the ones with cracking Mm -hmm. or concentric rings. You can just cut off the affected portions and chop up the rest. Be on the lookout for mold, though. Yes, or or somebody living in the in the big cracks. Well, well that's protein, but <laughs> basically, uh, yeah, all tomatoes are useful in one way or the other. Yes, so, fruit is still edible. Yeah, exactly. So again, that's an abiotic disorder. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use. And a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's Smart Pots. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Smart Pots are sold around the world and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, smart pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits, too. Water drainage issues? Not with smart pots. Roots that go round and round, choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with smart pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how for a limited time you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount, SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Now, there are some uh, tomatoes that may look a little strange or strange uh, flattening of stems uh, or like several adjoining stems have fused. Fasciation? Faciation? I'm fascinated by fasciation. Are you? Yeah. What, what causes faciation or fasciation? Nobody really knows. Of course. <laughs> That's why it's abiotic. Right. It can be caused by a microorganism, a bacteria, a virus, or fungus, but nobody's ever isolated them or rarely isolates them uh, to find out what it is. So... It looks flat. I've seen it in sunflowers. Have you mm-hmm. seen it in sunflowers? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very noticeable where the instead of the head being round, it becomes sort of like eyeball, like a cat's eyeball, or where the iris is the dark center and the, the yellow petals are around the outside. So it changes the shape. And the, you can see it in, there's so many plants that get fasciation. Again, roses. Yes. Unclear what's causing it in each particular case. And so the recommendation is that you treat the fasciation as if it is a biotic disorder. In most cases, it's not. Uh, And so you cut it off and dispose of it. Another issue that we're seeing more and more of here, and if you live in a hot climate, you may be seeing it as well, is a lot of internal white tissue inside the tomato. When you cut it open, you're seeing 
white stuff. Where is that coming from? If you're not seeing holes on the outside, it's an abiotic disorder. Nobody, no creature has been involved in creating it. And it's just really high temperatures. Right. Especially long bouts when you get, you know, five days in a row of 100 degree plus and you got your tomato plants in full sun. You're seeing more and more of these abiotic disorders like the internal white tissue. And this is why, especially for people who live in hot climates, you may want to think about planting some of your tomato plants in an area where it's getting some protection from the hot afternoon sun. So when I lived in Tucson, I had tomatoes and peppers in my garden and they faced south and they were against a block wall. But I had a mulberry tree at a distance that intercepted that setting, that afternoon sun, and and my tomatoes did just fine. Without that tree, I would have had fried green tomatoes on the vine. Well, in Tucson, though, don't you plant your tomatoes in January? Yeah, but it's still hot and dry. Yeah, and uh, you're done probably by May, I mm-hmm. would think. Yeah. There has been some research shown that that internal white tissue issue may be managed with adequate potassium fertilization. It could reduce symptoms, but may not eliminate them. And again, some varieties just get it more than others. Right. I wouldn't go around throwing potassium around. No. um, Because you really don't know without a soil test if you need it. So get a soil test before you spend the money and throw the... If you throw it around, it could become pollution and mess up your whole system. So don't do it without a soil test. And frankly, getting a soil test is just good business for your garden. Mm -hmm. And if you've never done a complete soil test, had one done on your soil, it can't hurt to get one done. So if you are lacking, especially in the micronutrients, you'll have an idea of what to do. You'll know about that. Yeah. Right. All right. Another tomato abiotic disorder, and we've certainly seen that here, is leaf roll, the curling or rolling of tomato leaves. There's a lot of reasons for that, too. Yes, there are. But often it has to do with the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be... The first thing to do is categorize it. Is it on the old leaves? They'd be at the bottom. The new leaves, the ones at the ends of the branches and the top of the plant, or all the leaves. And are they rolling upward or are they rolling downward? And is there are there other symptoms? Do you see things on the fruit? Do you see spots on the leaves? Something like that. Usually... When those leaves get a little crisp or hard and they get kind of leathery, you can have that upward roll, especially if it's a wet spring. Mm-hmm. And heat, drought, root damage, transplant shock can all lead to leaf rolls. Typically, it it's there's no long-term damage. It's a reaction of the plant to its current conditions. Leaves don't remake themselves, so they don't they may stay curled even when the condition is corrected, but the new leaves coming out will be normal if the conditions are corrected. This is one of my favorite ones uh, to have if I have a problem because just walk away. <laughs> Can't do anything. <laughs> Can't do anything about it. Just walk away. The one, the one, When the weather settles down, it, it'll probably go away. Uh, maintain a consistent soil moisture level in the soil. As always. Uh, don't apply Mulch. too much fertilizer. Right. Mulch, yep. And, and uh, don't damage the roots during right. cultivation. That's important, too. We don't talk enough about that. When it comes to weeding your vegetable garden, if you start yanking at weeds, I think that's okay. But if you take a hoe or something and start chomping underneath it to bring that weed up, you're going to bring roots up. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. Or you're going to cut roots yeah. by chomping. 
Exactly. So uh, maybe water the garden thoroughly and then those weeds will come up much easier. Or use mulch and yeah. you'll, you won't have as many weeds and pull the weeds when they're very, very young. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's amazing. Mulch solves a whole host of problems. Sure does. Well, here's a question that I know uh, is going to pop up soon and not just with tomatoes, but with squash as well. And beans. And beans. Where are they? I don't have any. Why does everybody else have tomatoes? Why does everybody else have squash? I don't have anything. Oh, be patient. It's the weather. It's the weather. When temperatures, night temperatures get below 50 degrees and it's sustained or day temperatures are above 90 and a lot of these plants just don't set fruit. The big difference between poor performing tomatoes and poor performing squash is a pollination issue. Tomatoes, that's not that big a problem because it's wind pollinated for the most part. Tomato, uh, pe- uh, squash, on the other hand, does need uh, the male flower and the female flower to be growing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And early on in, in squash season, I noticed my zucchini out there, it's all little boy flowers. Mm-hmm. They typically have, yeah. They come first. They typically, yes, come first. They're lonely. But the girls, wait. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little shy. But in time. In time. I love to go out in the morning and check my squash. There's, I've been very lucky because there's been lots of of bee activity, lots of insects Mm -hmm. inside the flowers and the flowers. You can tell the girl flowers because uh, they have behind the flower, the stem looks like a baby squash, whatever kind of squash it is going to be, or pumpkin or melon. They're all the same in that they have this, the girl flowers. It has a bigger bottom. Has has a bigger bottom and it's shaped like the adult uh, mature fruit will be. And the males are just on a stem. And you want to see them open at the same time. The pollen is only ripe in the morning. And the the female flower is only receptive for the pollen in the morning. So uh, if you're not getting bee activity or insect activity to move that pollen from the boy to the girl, then you have to do it yourself by taking the flower off, the boy flower off the plant. I strip the petals if I have to. Be just easier to get to the pollen in there. And then touch the pollen, which is a yellow protruding thing in the center, onto the yellow protruding thing in the, in the female flower center. And you do that early in the day, I would think. Early in the day. Right. And two, I don't panic when I see ants moving around Same here. the I don't zucchini either. flower, uh, the squash flower, because they're pollinating. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They're getting what they need, too, but they're pollinating. So, parents, if it's time for the kids to have that first birds and the bees lesson, it pays to have some squash flowers there you on. Go. Have a squash plant. You can kind of explain things. And if they ask the question, well, do you need ants to have babies? <laughs> You're on You'll your never own. kill an ant again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. But getting back to tomatoes, the, the poor fruit set in tomatoes again, low nighttime temperatures. That happens. High or, daytime temperatures. High daytime temperatures, too. It's like if it's below 55 or above 90. This was my mother. I'm cold. Put a sweater on. But, Mom, it's only 70 degrees. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, the flowers are going to drop. It's It's... Just the way it is. And yeah, they're picky. Usually there is a period of time when the weather is conducive. And we're coming up to this stretch of weather here locally where it looks like it will stop being 100 degrees every afternoon and mm-hmm. be in the 80s for like a, a solid week. We should get grapefruit set on all these, not just tomatoes, but squash and beans as well. Yep. And uh, again, choose varieties that are right for your area. Right. Yes. Uh, not enough light. Yeah. 
you can have too much light on a tomato, especially if it's reflected heat, but uh, reflected light that causes heat. But you need a, a, enough light, the six to eight hours a day, to uh, produce the fruit. And too much nitrogen fertilizer. If you're out there applying fertilizer on a regular basis, typically nitrogen is the highest content. It's the first number on any fertilizer bag. And you'll end up with a beautiful plant with mm-hmm. lots of green leaves, but no fruit. Yeah. And again, I would still urge planting tomatoes where they're going to get some afternoon shade from the hot sun. But you're still going to get six to eight hours in of our climate. In our climate. Yes. yes. In New Jersey, where I went to undergraduate school and grew tomatoes, we grew them in the full sun and we pruned them to a single stem and mm-hmm. staked them to get fruit in a shorter summer than we have here in California. So it depends on where you live. Wasn't that school named after a tomato variety? No, vice versa. (laughs) Be Rutgers? Yes, Rutgers. Oh, okay, all right. Another reason is too much smog, and I will add to that wildfire smoke. Yeah. That can uh, inhibit a plant from developing. It can. Yeah. So, uh, not too much you can do about smog or, or, or wildfire smoke. I don't know where you'd move to avoid it. All right. But it's tough. Yeah, it is. But th- then again, that's, again, an abiotic disorder of tomato plants, poor fruit set. But in time, it, it balances out. Yeah. Sunburn, sun scald. Again, lack of leaf cover. Yes. And what what does sun scald look like? It looks like it looks like skin cancer. <laughs> really? It's, it's just this usually a. a, a a leathery area on the side of the tomato. And if you notice which side it is, it's usually the south side or the west side. The sunny side, yeah. yeah the sunny side. Where the leaf wasn't hanging over that fruit. The peppers get it too. Yes, they do. Yeah. And I think they're even more susceptible. So don't prune leaf cover from the plant, which can expose the fruit to sun. Maintain plant vigor. Watch your pruning. And uh, make sure your plant has enough leaves. If if you you get that nitrogen deficiency, it may thin out. And it happen, can happen slowly, and you don't really see it hap- going on. And then all of a sudden, your fruit is just really exposed. So you're going to get these blotches. They start out tan because it's just dead skin. And they're not necessarily on any end. They're where the sun has hit hit the plant. And then over time, they often start to turn darker black. They might have black spots. And that's because uh, funguses and bacteria uh, are moving in because it's a place that they want to hang out. So the fruit is still edible. Just cut out that part. Right. Yeah. Sometimes when that fruit turns red, the leathery area remains white. Sometimes it becomes covered by black secondary mold, which is very unappetizing looking. But again, you can cut off the Mm -hmm. infected portions of that. Uh, And we come back too to the uh, Debbie Flower uh, Institute of Old Umbrellas. (laughs) And the fact Mm -hmm. that providing some late afternoon shade if necessary can help. But you'd have to do that when the tomato plant is fairly young. Yes. When the fruit is, yeah, on the vine, but yeah, pretty young. Abiotic disorders of tomatoes. There's plenty of reasons why, but in most cases, that fruit's still edible. So just cut off the affected portions. Do better next time around. But enjoy what you get. Enjoy what you get and uh, pray for good weather. All right. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. You're welcome, Fred. Perhaps after purchasing a plant for your garden, you may have seen instructions on the plant tag that read, add a rooting hormone when planting. You know something? That isn't necessary. Nor is fertilizing a newly dug-in plant. In fact, that might do more harm than good. 
In the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, we present the case against using fertilizers and rooting hormones at planting time. America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, will explain what rooting hormones are and what they should be intended for. And she'll tell you why you don't want to put any fertilizer in that planting hole when putting in new plants. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's coming out Friday, July 8th. Find a link to it in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net, where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at gardenbasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as reading a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. That's at gardenbasics.net. For subscribers to the newsletter, look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter this Friday, July 8th. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link at gardenbasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.